Hello everyone and welcome once again to the Cold Chain Podcast. My name's Shane Brennan and I'm bringing you another episode in which we interview one of the key leaders of a UK Cold Chain business. Before I do that, just a quick summary of all the things that have been happening. And it's not another day goes by at the moment where there hasn't some kind of headline grabbing story about problems in the food supply chain, um, disagreements and uh, new initiatives coming out of government, and a real sense of the strain that everybody is under. And from a federation point of view in the UK, we're trying our best to uh, understand what's going on, share information, and help businesses to firefight the problems they're facing today. But also we're trying to make sure we're thinking about the long term and trying to understand how, what this window of time means for the future of our industry. And we've had some really interesting conversations in the last uh, couple of weeks with people about, about what the legacies of this crisis might be. The understanding of the importance of resilient supply chains, the importance of investing in supply chains, the importance of the people that work in our business, not just today, but the ones that are going to come through in the future. And I think that one of the things that is incumbent on us all is as we get through the days right now, we also think about um, how we can think, put ourselves in a better position for the future. And that's really what the Cold Trade Federation is all about. And that's one of the themes that runs through the conversation I had with Eddie Green, who's head of Cold Chain at DFDS Group. Um, Eddie is um, someone who's long experienced in the industry. He uh, came back to the UK um, from Denmark two or three years ago to head up the cold chain operations. He's been a key player in the significant merger of the DFCS logistics operation with HSF Group. Um, and he talks a bit about that in the podcast. He also brings a interesting and calm perspective to some of the challenges around Brexit, some of the issues around labour shortage, and shows some real passion in his voice, but also reflects his business's view about the importance of investing in sustainability and uh, technology and new ways of working. And that really is a, um, a real credit to him and to his business. So I really look forward to it. It's a really great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Um, listen in. Hello, Eddie. Welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast. Hi. Good afternoon, Shane. Good afternoon. Um, as you know, this is our conversation where we have a chance just to talk to you as someone who's in a leadership position in a cold chain business, um, a particularly interesting and dynamic in cold chain business in your case. And over the next sort of half an hour, I'm going to ask you some questions about about that, about your background and, and how you see the, see the future. So can I ask you to start by saying a little bit, just just, just introduce yourself to, our, to the listeners. Yeah, sure. I, um, I've been working for DFDS, so in one form or another, for the last 34 years. So I actually worked a long time for Norfolk Line, um, but which was owned by Maersk at the time. And it was sold to DFDS in 2010. Um, I was head of logistics in, in Norfolk Line and took the same position over in uh, with DFDS. And I was there from 2010 to 2019 in Copenhagen and a couple of years ago I came back into the UK and I've taken over the position of uh, head of the DFDS cold chain um, and that's where I sit today um, but really focused on the UK and Ireland the new acquisition of HSF changes my position again but as I'm getting older uh, I've given way to younger people and uh, I will let them lead the next five years because I, I probably will retire uh, within the next year or so but uh, all right. Well, well, okay. Well, there's lots of lots of lots of that to, to get into. I like meeting someone who's head of cold chain. As the chief executive of the cold chain federation, there aren't many people out there that have got cold chain in their job titles. So, yeah. uh, so it's, it's brilliant to meet you on that on that basis um, and talk to you on that basis. Um, but I think if I can even interrupt them there and just say, you know, I think that that that, that comes from the fact that the FDS sees the cold chain as an important part of its strategy, and and that's the position was actually created, and and of course. 
it was to go out and expand in the cold chain. And that's exactly what we've done with the HSF acquisition, which will increase our our cold chain activities by a factor of something like 70%. Um, it's a huge impact on 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 our growth. And, uh, you know, we're very happy and very optimistic with that. And that's quite a big signal, isn't it? Because obviously someone who, like yourself who was on the main board of the FDS being given this particular role shows that kind of strategic intent, I, I would imagine. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and I should say, I'm not on the main board. The, the structure right. in Denmark is slightly different, but I was on the right. executive management team, um, okay. which is one below the, the sort of uh, non-exec board, let's say. But yeah, and that was it. That was the point. I mean, I, I obviously had been heavily involved in the development of the cold chain business in DFDS, and a lot of it was in the UK where I came from originally, and and had been involved in all the way back when we were developing it in in the UK, and it, it it's done well for us, and we saw it as a, a great opportunity. So, and yeah, um, the discussion with HSF took a long time. They go back all the way to 2018, and and they broke off, and then they were resurrected, and uh, and here we are today, finally with the approval of the EU. Just recently, that was the, uh, a long, long process, unfortunately, with uh, getting through the competition authorities. But we're, we're, we're here, we've done it, and we're, we're pleased. And can you give us a sense of scale on that? Because obviously, I mean, straight away, the European Competition Authority is being interested in your merger is in itself an indication of scale. But so how, how big is the DFDS cold chain operation? How big is it once it's acquired HSF? Well, now it's acquired. I think in, in terms of cold chain activities, DFDS had a cold chain before of around 150, 160 million euros, and uh, HSF is 400 million. So it's transformational in, 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 in that respect. And I think the logistics business then was, say, 650 million, and now another 400. We've got a billion, uh, billion euro logistics business in, in DFDS. And, Previously, the logistics business was around about a third of the total revenue. It's now pushing up to, to get, yeah, I think it, at a certain point, it'll be as big as our ferry activities. And there are a lot of acquisitions taking place in the, in the logistics area. DF has always obviously been a, a, a significant haulage operator, but obviously it's a shipping business first. And you just mentioned how the scale issues has kind of changed. Is that actually going to change the focus of the business overall, do you think? I think, well... Yes and no. I mean, it's a big um, shipping company. I think leading, we claim to be a leading operator in Europe, 60 ships running around Europe. So it is big. Um, but I think the, there's been a lot of consolidation in the, in the ferry industry and the opportunities for further growth are quite limited. So I guess the, the, there's more growth likely to come in the logistics area than there is in the ferry um, ferry sphere because simply that there aren't that many opportunities out there there are a few but but not many so so i think yeah, over time um by nature dfds is acquisitive and and focuses on growth so i, I think yeah at one point in time then it will be a, a better balance let's say i wouldn't like to say one will be bigger bigger or better than the other but uh, there'll be a different balance yeah and the and in terms of the um the, the the nature of the offer the FDS brings to the market, obviously being that, you know, literally being the business that brings you across the water as well as moves mm-hmm. up on road. What do you think of the advantages of that that, that gives you in the market um, when you're working with customers? Well, we, 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 we always speak about an integrated network, ferry and logistics network. And I think that was made really abundantly clear when when Brexit came along, because we could actually go to our customers in Europe and say, we've got the trucks, We've got the the trailers, we've got the ferry terminals, the ferries on both sides of the water, and now we can do the customs clearance as well. So it really was a seamless and, and integrated chain, and I think that's a, a great selling point and, and actually worked very well for our customers and for us uh, at the start of the year. Won't deny that it was a very rocky period um, 
I'd be a very lonely person because I'd be the only one saying that. I think that, that, that it wasn't a, lot, uh, a, a rocky period, but it was it was very very difficult. Um, but now I think it, it's it's calm. But uh, yeah, the, the value still remains. But we are it's fully integrated, and that's good for us, good for our customers. You you and I you and I obviously talked a bit during that time in that early those early days of, of Brexit and throughout. And obviously you and I have spoken to parliamentary committees and others and, yeah. and shared platforms and. Um, I was very struck by that calmness that you brought to the conversation around when others, when all about them were seem to be losing their heads around the industry. It seemed that you guys did seem to have a plan and seem to be able to pull it, pull it through. And were, were there things about that that period that you felt that you prepared well for, or are there things that uh, that particularly, you know, you felt you you sort of that, that came that came out of that that you've learned about about your your systems and processes? I, I think two two things. One, we prepared enormously um, the year before, uh, but we weren't prepared for what came and um, we prepared so much. So we, we knew in practice what we needed to do, but we weren't prepared for so many things that went wrong, things that broke down, IT systems that failed, with whether they were partly ours, the, um, the government systems and so on, the custom systems. So and, and just the, the lack of preparedness all around us, really, um, from our customers, from yeah, the, the government bodies and so on. But there was a willingness to succeed. I think that was the key thing. We had to get through it. Um, it was probably one of the worst periods of my career in, in terms of the workload and the pressure that we were all under. But uh, but we got through it. And I think that that was it. We, we knew we had support. We knew we could do it. Um, so we just had to keep going, really. And I think it was the stress was was huge. And the, the hours of work that people put in were, were horrendous, quite frankly. But but yeah, we had we were lucky that we called on a lot of resources. People that weren't involved in Brexit in, in DFDS came to help, and and that that was a big benefit. The IT backup that we needed, people you know, who didn't work in the sharp end of Brexit, but they called, we called in all the IT people that we we could to um, to support our efforts to update systems and do different things. We got a lot of support from government offices. I have to say that. I mean, we um, because of our ferry operations they were key to the infrastructure for you know serving the, the country so that helped of course and then um just our involvement in, in a lot of key food exports as well which was uh yeah important to the to the government so we got support in that as well so it was good uh, yeah i'm not not gonna not gonna gig out on brexit because we will lose people but uh, one thing i am struck by is the model that you've built around your particular obviously your fish export uh, operations is the one the government refers to as the kind of blueprint for everybody else and i guess government's hope is or at least government's instruction tends to be to move try and move businesses into the model a bit more like yours yeah. as a, as the Brexit solution. Um, obviously, there are people that don't like that very much out there, but that is the reality of it. That does seem to be the model that does seem to seem to be the one for the future. That kind of hub hub consolidation hub model. Yeah, but I think um, I agree. Um, but it's essentially it's a groupage operation, you know, and um, and you consolidate groupage from different like, different customers and and you. You put it into full loads and you, and you deliver it and of course then we do the the onward anything from full truck loads down to individual boxes of, of, of fish but of course it needs scale and you haven't got scale in all parts of the country to set up hubs so we're able to do it in in um, two or three locations but beyond that it becomes that the, the, the scale isn't there so yeah we understand the, the sentiments and the wishes but i think it, it's not going to be practical in a lot of uh, locations simply because the, the volume of fish isn't there and you can't actually use a location for other things with fish they, they don't really mix and that's uh, yeah. that's the reality of it really 
Yeah, and you know the thing, the import, the export figures show show the collapse in groupage across particularly non-fish, particularly yeah. um, you know meat and proteins and the like. Um, in terms of um, in terms of the fact that you know, the other thing that people don't necessarily know outside our industry is that we haven't really done Brexit yet in terms of the import flows. Yeah. Um, do you have a sense that that preparedness, that model, the experience we had on the first of January going out? is going to be replicated eventually when we start putting controls in coming in. Do you have a sense of what that, whenever that ends up being? Because it keeps getting pushed back. I think, well, I think two things. In terms of preparedness, I think we've all learned a lesson. And we can say to our, our colleagues in Europe, look what happened to us. If you don't prepare, the same is going to happen to you. Uh, and that, that message gets us through. So, of course, we, our systems are much more robust than they were uh, tried and tested. Our people are much more f- familiar on, on all sides of uh, with customs and, and the requirements and, and, and what can happen if you haven't got it right. Um, I think it has to be said, I mean, it, we say it's working now and it is. I mean, we export a lot into different countries, but some countries it's much easier. And I'm sure anyone listening to this would agree. Some countries it's much easier to export into than, than others. Um, so hopefully that levels out and, and that also those countries exporting to the UK that that they will prepare and and ease some of the restrictions perhaps on on time windows for example that that that, that make our business less efficient now and that that's the the downside we are overall less efficient i think that the one a private view this would be but maybe that uh, the 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 input, imposition of the the full government border checks for you know the health certificates and all the rest of it been delayed into the middle of the year maybe someone will see some sense and, and stop the whole process altogether because I think that the biggest waste of money, resources, effort that, that I see is is this uh, these border inspections and all the inspections that go around food when essentially it's the same food that we always carried, that we, you know, we, we're trading between very responsible countries. Um, within the UK, we look after our own people. We, we, we make sure the food is is good to eat. And I think the French and the Germans and the Dutch and all the, the countries we, we trade with, they all do the same. And I think there should be an element of trust there, a level of trust there that, that, that we don't need this. And there should be some understanding that we, we police internally and what we do internally is good enough uh, to export. So, But that's a private view. Um, but I, I've seen no value created by all these health certificates. Um, just a lot of work and, and a lot of cost and a lot of lost opportunity for, for small exporters. So, um, yeah. A lot, of value for, a, a lot of value for printing companies and ink and ink providers. Yeah, uh, but I, yes. yeah, and 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 does it does the food actually get inspected? I think that's the other the great. I don't know what the right word is misnomer or whatever, but you know the vets don't actually check if the food is fit for purpose. They check batch numbers and they check papers. They don't yeah. check the food, and that's Six, me, seven make. seven years of veterinary training. To yeah. uh, to check some batch numbers. I mean, it's it is. I mean, that that amount of common sense, Eddie, that comes across in what you're saying, just is the sort of thing that you have to sort of sometimes take a step out of yourself and look at this process and go, oh. how on earth have we got to this? But um, yeah. um, I, so I completely agree with you. Uh, I guess yeah. So so, but we'll see. We'll see where we are. I I, I share with you a sense that will we ever see those checks being brought in for EU to UK bound goods? Yeah. Much as the government keeps every time the government says. Definitely, definitely next time we're going to require this. And then again, yet again, they kick the can down mm-hmm. the road. You can see that almost being a perpetual, a perpetual kind of grey area. But it is, a, but that doesn't mean it's a great, it's a legal grey area that the, that the carrier has to a certain extent got to, oh. got to bear in that because it's not certain. It's all a bit of a grey, legal grey area we're operating in. Anyway, um, 
Can I ask you then, obviously, from one crisis or, or challenge in Brexit into the current one, um, mm -hmm. again, for asking for your calm headed view, how are we, how do you think the supply chain is getting through right now and is going to get through the problems we've got with resourcing, particularly around drivers and another warehouse resource? And do you see, do you have a sense of where we are now, where we're heading in terms of the problems that are leading the newspapers right now? Well, uh, where we are, I mean, we, we, like everyone else, are short of drivers, have been short of drivers. We've done what most others have done as well, which is to increase the pay rates to our drivers, and that's given us some stability. Um, so we don't lose drivers, uh, but we don't really get that many new ones coming in either. I mean, it is a stable situation, and that that in itself is is good. Um, but it, it makes it more difficult to to cope with, with peaks in the business um, and then anyone involved in the food business will know that it does peak of course so so it's more challenging um, yeah we can't give our customers a service that we we're used to and, and and sadly you know it's brought a lot of inefficiencies as well because we're we may not be able to deliver or anybody else for that matter might not be able to de deliver on time or as requested but if we get to warehouses and cold stores that can't offload us or can't load us then that brings more inefficiency and where we all want drivers to drive because that's what we're, we're counting those valuable hours um, and then they're stuck at a warehouse and it just there's a whole knock-on really knock-on effect to to us also yeah are we coping I, I think that the, yeah the, this uh, few hundred drivers that might come from abroad not really going to make a, a big deal of difference I don't think we we were taking advantage of the cabotage rules and uh, by using foreign drivers coming into the country they were doing domestic work for us and, and still do but there's a reluctance of foreign drivers to come to the UK because of the problems at the borders and particularly to carry foodstuffs out of the UK because it's so difficult so you know that there's you know, it, the challenge is there what Christmas brings we're, we're optimistic we'll get through Christmas we as I said it's it's fairly stable um our workforce, we're quite resourceful. And of course, you don't have impact of vacations and the like as we run into the Christmas period. So we're fairly optimistic that we're in a, in a good position, but it, it's not easy. And uh, of course, costs are being bid up all the time. And then in the background, there's all the energy costs that are going with it. So it, it's uh, a difficult mix at the moment. But uh, yeah, I think we're as, we have a good scale and we're able to, to move resources around um, from different contracts to, to cope with with different changes in the business so yeah calmly quietly uh confident we'll we'll get through yeah that's reassuring and i think i think i think what you're saying is a lot of people are and that, that retrenchment i guess i guess i feel for businesses who normally thrive on the opportunity of growth and bringing on board new customers and yeah. and, and winning new business this, this is just not something we can do right now in our industry everyone's having to focus on servicing the the people they've got to the best of their ability and that um that isn't a particularly satisfying place to be for the long term. So hopefully we get through it eventually. Yeah, of course, because everybody wants to talk about growth and how they grow. But yeah. of course, now you, you very much focus on tomorrow and today, mm -hmm. how you get through and what's happening to the costs. And how can you make sure that you're insulated from from the costs and recover the the, the, the cost from from your customers? And that that's no one wants to pay, do they? None of us do. We don't want to pay our subcontractors. Our, our customers don't want to pay us. But you know in the end we'll have all have to take our share of the pain and that's so it's just a process to go through yeah yeah um you mentioned energy and i think that this is the, the it's not the for some it's not the crisis to come but for some we're sort of watching the markets and the way the prices are moving um and starting to feel about what the implications are for people's costs going into next year um 
Do you have any, uh, I don't want to ask you Sophie, about the, the impact of that on your business, but do you, I know that's an area that you particularly are leading on, Eddie, in the business is the issue around sustainability, energy resilience, yeah. energy generation. How do you see that challenge in the cold chain? Do you think we're doing enough in that area? Do you think that where the opportunities are for businesses to invest in how they generate energy and how they use it? Uh, I don't think we're the fastest, let's say. I think we, we, if I take it from a DFDS perspective, we've got a big shipping fleet and the, uh, the ships have come un, un, under um, a lot of scrutiny, not just ours, but globally. You know, they're big. Uh, the, the change from um, heavy fuel oil, which was like tar, burning tar almost, I guess, but uh, to, to, to the, the, the marine gas oil was a big change. So, and our efforts have been focusing DFDS on very much making the ships more efficient. So that's given us a lot of um, connections to, to investigate different fuel types for the ships. I mean, we're investigating ammonia, methanol, um, hydrogen as well, I think, for to propel the ships, all, all those things. So, you know, quite far advanced in that. And you've seen the other things we've done with uh, with the trucks and whatever. But uh, so I think there's more to do. I think you know, we've never had, a because we've had the benefit of, of cheaper red diesel, there's not been a, an incentive then to, um, to to innovate. But now that, that benefit's taken away, suddenly our, our minds are, are concentrated. So, yeah, we need to do more. I think, uh, you know, the, the, the fairly standard things we've all done, I guess, solar panels and the like, um, yeah, we, we, we're doing that. But I guess that that's something that most industries have done. Warehouses are being built with solar panels. You put them on your house, so on. So I think that they're fairly standard. And of course, the trucks, um, yeah, they, they've become much more efficient over time. And, and we work on that and all the other things that go with it. But I think that we just need to do more perhaps on in terms of, of trailers and equipment and you know, looking at things like the, the longer semi-trailers, which just give us a 15% efficiency improvement. Where can we use more of those? And, you know, fortunately, that they're they're there for the long term now. Yeah. So that and and I, and, I, and obviously, I'm very. I mean, you're, you're being modest. I think DVA, DFDS are, in the context of probably an overarching slowness in logistics to invest in this sort of stuff. DFDS are very much at the forefront across the different things you're trying. Um, and I, I, I guess what I heard from you say there is that the shipping kind of experimentation is sort of permeating into other parts of the business, which is an interesting, yeah. interesting point. The but. I mean, you're. I mean, I, I noticed. You know, literally in the last week, you've announced that you're you've placed this, the single biggest ever order for electric uh, yeah. electric trucks. Um, does that? Where does that come from in the business? Does that come from a sort of sustainability? Let's try it and see what happens. Or what's the? How how does the mentality of the business come to making those sorts of decisions? No, I think that it's not about let's see what happens. It's a clear belief that we need to be involved very much in this. I, I think there's also a different, if I may say, different countries different um, perspectives slightly. Scandinavian so, company uh, you know, has a lot of, uh, lot of interest in the, in the environment. So I think it comes, comes there, a lot of the innovation comes out of, of, of Scandinavia, which is great. Um, so led, led by that, led by the need anyway in shipping has already said that uh, we, we've done so much work on this. We've got people for a long time now dedicated to, to, to these, these topics and, and that, that team's getting bigger. Um, we're lucky in terms of the truck activity. We have a long-standing relationship with Volvo AB. Um, we, we do a lot of, it's a big customer uh, of ours. 
And uh, you know, from that cooperation, we talk about what we do with innovation on, on the ships on, and what they're doing to innovate. And, and um, yeah, it, it, we've been working with them on this autonomous truck that's driving around the, uh, in Gothenburg. In, it's actually semi-public roads. It's like a big industrial estate. The Volvo factory and the port are fairly close together. But this autonomous truck goes on, on, on public roads. Not very far, but, but on public roads. And then it drives through the gate with no, no um, invo human involvement at all. So there's one, one example. And then Volvo talked to us about electric trucks and what could we do and how could we use them. And of course, for now, they've got limited range. But we've got some work that we can can use them on, and uh, that's that's really how it's a close cooperation that we've had with Volvo for a long time. So a similar kind of shuttling kind of service, the link, link to ports and that kind of thing. Is that the no? It'll be lo longer distance, um, oh. and they'll be in operation in Sweden, uh, in Belgium as well. So not just a shuttle, much more than just a shuttle. I have to say yeah. that it's very important to say that it's not uh, oh. just shuttling around the port. No, no, um, we will put them into full operation. Um, wow. We have a lot, lot of work around Sweden that we can use them on. Wow. I mean, on a much smaller scale, I noticed that you're the first uh, buyers or publicly known buyers of SunSwaps technology yeah. for, for technology to, uh, to, to transport refrigeration units. Again, I guess I'm assuming you see you see lots of potential in that kind of technology for, for refrigeration on vehicles. Well, definitely. And as I said, it follows on from all the things we've been doing with the ship uh, ships, I should say. It's um, it's a relatively modest involvement investment and we see it as a future it's it's not the the plus for us it's not relying on any power coming from the truck you know that is because whatever we do if you if you take electricity from the truck from the drive axle or whatever it, it's going to to burn more fuel in the truck one way or another so that we we want to be involved we want to try it and and, and try to help push it forward really it's it's yeah, as said earlier um things change next year it's going to cost more money. It, it drives everybody, but also there's this um, recognition in, in in our company that we, we need to do these things. It's right to do these things, and that, that's why we do it. Yeah, and we've, we we just, just just a note, editorial editor's note. We we've just published our our future of transport refrigeration report with Quality Federation. So those of you listening, if you haven't checked that out, please please do so. And things like the SunSwap technology is featured in that report, talking about how we can transition away from from diesel use specifically in refrigeration. I guess thank you, Eddie. Just in terms of the sort of wrapping things up, in terms of your experience, you mentioned at the start that you are heading towards potentially retiring out of the business in the next uh, year or so. Um, what are your reflections on the sort of strength of cold chain overall logistics, the huge opportunity that we're in now? What do you think about the, the phase we're in and where we're heading? How optimistic do you are you are about the next ten years of our industry in terms of its um, growth potential and its and how it's going to change? I think well, the growth is uh, opportunities are definitely there. I think there's obviously more and more consolidation in the industry, but that's common of most industries. Um, yeah, the demand for frozen food grows and grows for fresh food will always be there so i think that the opportunities are very very good and, and of course it's about quality isn't it and particularly when you're dealing with food there's there's always room for quality and and i think those that, that are good at what they do those that are the fast movers um and first movers will will be successful and i think it's it's not always about being big and we have the benefit of scale but it's also about the pace of change and how willing you are and, and flexible you are to, to adapt to change and do new things and i think that's what we we try to to show that we, yeah, we, we don't only react, react, but we try to to forecast or anticipate, I should say, what's coming ahead. But yeah, so for us, you, yeah. a big investment in cold chain, 
because we believe in it and people would say ah but then um you know invest in a company in hsf very much focused on the meat sector and demand for meat is declining but that's just one one element of it what it enables us to do is to um is to grow in the cold chain uh, sector give a, a good network across europe um gives us a lot of access to to trucks and and, and own resources so I think, yeah, for us, it's good. I think generally the outlook is, is very good and that's why we chose to be in it. Can I ask you a question on that, on that on that point about how you how the DFDS as a business sees the UK in the context of Europe? Does Brexit fundamentally change the nature of how you see that or is it just UK and, and, and Europe are still one integrated opportunity together in terms of how yeah, you I think plan logistics? DFDS history goes back to 1866. I think they had the famous bacon boat from uh, from Denmark to the UK, and I think that those bacon exports are still significant. Um, the UK represents something like half of half of everything that, or 50 percent of everything that DFDS does is is UK focused or or in the UK. So the UK is extremely important. You know, if you look at the Channel ferries all the way up the the, the coast, everything is you know, the UK is so so important for DFDS. So irrespective of, of um, being in or out of the EU, the UK is extremely important to, to the FDS and there's no let up in uh, in in our intentions to, to further develop. That's actually really important, that, that figure about half of your business is really, really, really striking. I guess I'm sort of thinking out loud about the about the structure of logistics operations and how, how whether the UK remains an integrated sort of part of the Europe model or actually has to be its own its own thing. I think for the for the customers, the retailers and the and the manufacturers, I think they are struggling with this. Is is can they can they carry on with Europe wide uh, operations and how they structure themselves, or do they need to start separating out the UK from from the others because of the the new barriers that are in place? It, it's not something that we've even given given consideration to, as far as I'm aware. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just we carry on. There's another hurdle to overcome whether that you know we have driver shortages rates of exchange uh, fluctuating fuel prices going up and down and brexit came along and so we adapt to that and uh, yeah it's not even a consideration that we, we just how do we cope with the, the latest development or react to the latest development and, and keep moving forward no there's no major structural change at all in the business from from that respect at least Okay, well, that, that that's that's reassuring and, and, and good to hear. It, one last sort of thought from question for me. Well, my, your advice to me and the Coaching Federation as a, as an entity that brings together businesses of, of different types. What do you think is the value of cross horizontal co conversation, horizontal collaboration, and knowledge sharing between businesses in the logistics space? I mean, do, obviously, is that an area that you've found valuable throughout the, the thirty five years of, of working in your career? And how do you see that going forward? No, I think it is important because you know certainly now we've got um, pressure on on resources, all of us. So I think we can actually create efficiencies if we talk to each other. And and maybe the the competitive landscape changes a little bit because actually you become aware that you can actually benefit more from from working with a what can you say a competitor. Mm -hmm. Who isn't really a threat to you anyway, but you just, you know, we're all a little proud and perhaps a little protective. But uh, I think yeah, th there's a lot to be said for for working with our customers and with our uh, potential competitors to 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 make things better. And I think that's really, uh, you know, th there's a theme in DFDS. We've just had a, a, um, a management conference and the theme of that was um, uh, sustainability through collaboration. 
and that's internal collaboration and it means external collaboration as well so and certainly you know the, the, the things we do with Volvo it's a collaboration um, so we never rule out collaborating with um, with anybody really that, that can bring a mutual benefit and uh, and sustainability now it, it just makes sense and a lot of our customers see it the bigger customers global customers see that that they, they will actually want to push some of their suppliers together and we may have things that we see each other as com competitors but we're actually just working in a different sphere for that customer and if they bring two things together i don't know if we've got a barge operator in, in continental europe and a truck operator can you get those two to work cl more close together to streamline the whole process and maybe then that involves a cold store or a warehouse in a long chain to to make the whole thing smarter so i think yeah we have to be open for that because we create capacity if we collab uh, collaborate i'm absolutely convinced of that Thank you very much, Eddie, and thank you from me for the support you've given the Federation since you've arrived back in the UK, um, and and um, I really value your input on the things that we've been working on, so I really appreciate that, and I uh, look forward to, to trying to get as much of that, extract as much of that value as I can between now and the time that you're still you're still working in the industry um, within, within this role, so thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much for taking part in the Cold Chain podcast. Yeah, thank you, and if I could just say thank you for all you've done in support of the Cold Chain in a very interesting year. So that's our conversation. I hope you found it as interesting as I did to uh, talk to Eddie about all those different uh, topics. So it's great to talk to somebody who is, you know, coming towards the end of a, of a long career in a, in a, in a business. Um, they have that, that reflexive tone, that kind of understanding of, of, of how things fit into a bigger, bigger picture. And that really comes through in, in Eddie's calm approach to some of the problems. He's probably the right man at the right place for uh, the uh, Brexit issues that DFDS experienced at the start of uh, 2021. And, was he sort of navigating through the HSF uh, agreement as well. So I'm really grateful to him for, for his time. I hope you enjoyed the this latest edition of the Cold Chain podcast. Uh, please, as ever, if you, if you aren't already, please uh, consider subscribing to the podcast. You can do so via any of the uh, podcast platforms, whether Apple Podcasts or or, or Google or, or Spotify or others. Please, uh, please do that. And also... Um, if you can, just take the time to to leave a, a quick review on the on the platform. That really helps me in terms of growing the uh, visibility of the plat of the pro podcast to more more people. Um, or even better, just send an email out or, or or share on social media or something to to create greater visibility of this uh, of this growing library of really interesting and insightful conversations with different people in different ways about the real important job that is operating the cold chain in the UK and around the world. Thanks very much as ever. Take care of yourselves and I look forward to speaking to you again in the next edition.